everyone. Welcome back. Clearwater Jazz Holidays Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions here with our friend Mark Feynman. Mark, what's up? I'm uh, living the dream, getting to play music and listen to music. And I'm we, happy to be back here. Yeah, no, we love having you with us, and we've enjoyed having you with us as part of our reimagined live music series this year, the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Presents Wonderlust series. And I know we're gonna, we were just joking around before we started. We're going to be uh, seeing you uh, tomorrow evening for another one of our events, and we're really looking forward to that out on Clearwater Beach. So... We, um, oh, yeah. we want to remind everybody that they're muted for the courtesy of this session and that we record all of these sessions for the purposes of Clearwater Jazz Holiday Education and Outreach. If you have specific questions, you can email us at deb at clearwaterjazz.com or info at clearwaterjazz.com and we'll get those questions um, answered as best as possible, or you might have a specific topic you'd like us to cover. And we're happy to do that. We've been really inspired to grow these Young Lions Jazz Master virtual sessions. Mark's back with us today on a topic that he's calling What I Love About Max Roach, which is part of our What I Love About series. Mark's done several topics prior to this one, which you can find in our studio. After these live sessions, they get recorded and the videos get put up in our studio and the audio portions you can listen to on our podcast. The, the studio has several of Mark's prior um, uh, sessions, including history of the rhythm section and collaboration among artists, the quarter note system, a rhythmic guide to creativity, exploring triplets, comping, soloing, and coordination, playing better with brushes, how, when, why, and where. And as part of the What I Love About series, Papa Joe Jones was his last session, and today Max Roach, and he'll be back with some others. The studio is brought to you by Blue Water Wealth Management at Steward Partners and Duke Energy and the Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions podcast is brought to you by our friends at Marine Max Clearwater, www.clearwaterjazz.com. Education and outreach is where you can find all of these upcoming sessions, the Zoom links to join those sessions. And then again, afterwards in the studio, you can find all kinds of fun resources, playlists and recommended uh, session materials and all kinds of stuff. So let me tell you a little bit about Mark and then we're going to turn it over to him. Mark is is part of a, a Tampa Bay-based jazz trio called La Lucha, who has performed um, all over the Tampa Bay area and beyond their music ventures into a wide variety of musical styles and offers a really fun mix of genres under the jazz umbrella. They have received countless accolades and have extensive national and international performance experience, including several plays at the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Music Festival and its related events. Uh, like I mentioned, the reimagined Wonderlust events this year also, visit laluchamusic.com for more information about the band, getting in touch with them, and about their uh, newer album, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, but also they have a holiday album out, which I would encourage everyone to take a look at. It's really, really great. Mark is a drummer. He's a composer, an educator who is inspired by individual human experience and a diverse range of musical influences. He's got extensive performance experience playing with many wonderful musicians. He was awarded an Emerging Artist Grant from Creative Pinellas. 
the Think Small to Think Big grant, a Jazz on Edge 13 in 13 commission, and a Project Gen Yes residency to present a multimedia project raising awareness for Alzheimer's disease in the Studio 620. He is also a drum set instructor at St. Petersburg College, big on Clearwater Jazz holiday education and outreach, working with us on a lot of different programs, including the Young Lions Jazz Master traditional sessions and these virtual sessions. Mark, welcome back. The stage is all yours. So as a really important part of jazz is j our jam sessions. And uh, it, jam sessions, musicians come up and they pick a tune and they play it. Now, when Max Roach was coming up, they were kind of lead, we're kind of, uh, we're starting where we ended last week, which was with Papa Joe Jones. Papa Joe Jones was influencing younger musicians like Max Roach and another drummer named Kenny Clark as well. But we're gonna focus on Max Roach today. Now, there's a story and uh, it's been told a lot of times and uh, a young musician named Charlie Parker, before he was called The Bird, he showed up at a jam session and it was said that it was at this jam session that when he started to play, that because he played too many notes and it was too fast, he was playing an advanced modern style, which we call bebop now, uh, they quote unquote muted him. The drummer took his cymbal off and dropped it on the ground. It was a sign of saying, that's enough. You don't get this. I don't really like what you're doing. Um, I've heard the story from a number of people. I heard it firsthand from Dick Hyman, who did play with Charlie Parker. Um, a lot of people say it was Max Roach. Other people say it was Kenny Clark. I've really heard a lot of times that it was Papa Joe Jones. It was uh, Joe Jones later becoming Papa in the six, in, when he was about 62. Okay, so there's our, there's our story to start with being muted and unmuted for the Zoom, the Zoom world. Okay, what I love about Max Roach. I'm going to say this for everyone. This is my favorite. I love Max Roach. Uh, Max is incredibly influential to me personally on a number of levels, which we'll get into um, his playing, but also uh, how he communicated to audiences uh, off the bandstand. He had so much to say and speak about. Uh, I... I'm going to give you a brief overview of his of his history, and then we're going to kind of dive into uh, some key terms like the word bebop and hard bop, and take a little bit look at his activism as well. Okay, let's. I'm going to share screen here. I'm going to open up a presentation that I have. And boom goes the dynamite. Welcome to the Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. What I love about Max Roach. Jazz is a very democratic musical form. It comes out of communal experience. And we take our respective instruments and collectively create a thing of beauty. Max Roach. I've heard this being said a number of times. Uh, through, through Max's uh, writing and recordings. Okay, a little bit about Maxwell. He was born in January of 1924 in Township of Newland, which is in North Carolina. Uh, his family 
moved to Brooklyn at age four, not by himself. He wasn't like, I'm the hippest guy at age four. No, his whole family relocated to Bed-Stuy in uh, New York. And he actually had a very musical family. Uh, his mother was a gospel singer and performed in the church groups as well as his father did, um, whose name I believe was, uh, I, I know it because it was a really, it's actually a really great drummer. Uh, it's escaping me. It's like Alfonso, but I'll, I'll think of it later. Okay. He was playing a lot. By age 10, he was already playing in a lot of gospel groups, and he was getting experience playing in bands, playing, you know, blues and playing what was popular at the time, which was swing music. Swing was, was popular in that, you know, mid, you know, roaring 20s. Uh, at age 19, he got a phone call to sit in for Sonny Greer with Duke Ellington in Manhattan. At age 19, he apparently was extremely nervous. This was the same thing that happened to Papa Joe Jones with Count Basie. Uh, and at age 19, he's sitting in with Duke. It's, that's completely wild, and it is very cool. And it was around this time, when he was like 18, 19, 20, he was already did his first recording in 1943. And he was, this first recording was with Coleman Hawkins and uh, he and Ben Webster, of all people. So it was like a very swing recording. It was, a, you know, playing with big bands, playing with large ensembles. That was the thing in the 20s and the 30s. Swing was king. You had a large group, usually a name in front of that group, whether it was, you know, uh, Coleman Hawkins, or if it was Count Basie, or Duke Ellington, or Stan Kenton, you had these people. This 1943 recording was actually a smaller group of people, so you, he wasn't lost in the names of, of everybody there. He was one of the forefront names on this recording. Um, now, it's important to know, okay, so it, I don't want to skip over the 52nd Street. In the late 40s, he ended up going on a trip to Haiti, and he met with a drummer named T. Rojo. And T. Rojo was a very pop, became a very influential musician because of Max Roach. But at the time on the island, he was playing the traditional African music. And this really interested Max Roach because... This was the way to learn, to go directly to a source that had the source. And he was getting to hear traditional African music being performed by, you know, percussionists. It wasn't just one musician. We talked about that with early jazz in the last class. It wasn't one person always playing the drum set. It was multiple percussionists playing multiple instruments. And he got to, you know, view this and see this and see how... African music was being was ended up to the islands, then came to the United States, which became jazz. And that's a wonderful early jazz history. Uh, so 
he was bringing those influences back that you do hear on some of those later recordings, even the stuff he was doing with Sonny Rollins, like St. Thomas, where he was playing uh, the Calypso groove, and he's playing later, later in his career, we're going to see that he was a little more experimental with percussion. So when he was playing at that age 18, 19, 20, he was on what's called 52nd Street around 1942. Um, and this is where he got his name. 52nd Street, if you don't know, is 52nd Street in New York. Um, and it was a whole bunch of jazz clubs. This is where jazz was happening at night. And all through the night. This is where musicians would get onto the bandstand. They would hop from club to club. They would play weeks long sets there and you could see a whole lot of musicians performing. Um, my family uh, is from New York and I have stories of my grandmother who would go to 52nd Street as a kid and experience seeing groups and she would actually go because she really liked swing dancing. It was a social environment. And she showed up to a club one day and it said, no dancing. There was a sign that said, no dancing. And she said, you know, and I, and I remember asking, I said, well, why, why, why was there no dancing? I said, they were sitting people to watch somebody named Bird. And I said, what, you saw Charlie Parker play? She goes, no, we left because we couldn't dance. Therefore, we couldn't meet gentlemen. <laughs> and I said, no, grandma, you were supposed to meet Charlie Parker. You know, that, that could have been my grandfather. You know, like, who knows? But uh, I love my family. My grandfather's not Charlie Parker, but... Uh, she did have the wonderful opportunity to see Count Basie and Duke Ellington and talks about skipping school to go see Ella Fitzgerald. Okay, back to Max Roach on 52nd Street. He was influential by some of these early drummers and because they were playing these clubs so much, they were coming up with um, ways to play this music. So he actually had a steady gig at a place called Monroe's Uptown House. And a lot of musicians came through this gig, including Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Bird and Bud Powell. And they were creating this kind of style together. They were these young hip cats that were not only playing swing, which we'll kind of talk about what it became bebop, which was called modern jazz and the, you know, cool pop music of the time. Um, so he was playing in these groups for years and they were traveling and he ended up out on the West Coast meeting a whole bunch of musicians and became influential in another subgenre of bebop called hard bop. And if you asked Frank Williams, what is hard bop, he would say, all bop is hard. So, you know, it's not an easy style of music to play and you have to practice. So he was playing in hard bop bands, which kind of lasted from the, um, in the mid fifties through the mid sixties. And what was happening in the United States in the sixties, you should be knowing and learning that in history, but that certainly spills over into music and music always in jazz especially follows the history of the united states and of the world and his um 
performing became influenced by uh, political and racial commentary. And he started performing and playing and composing, speaking to what was happening in the world at that time. Um, in the 1970s, that spilled over into more experimental groups. He was performing with like uh, interesting arrangements of musicians, whether it was all horns and no chordal instruments, or it was just a duo that he was doing with bass player Charles Mingus. We're going to check out some of that in a moment. Uh, and that kind of turned into uh, scoring for dance groups and musical theater, or the not specifically musical theater, but straight theater plays on Broadway. Uh, he worked with Sam Shepard in scoring for his plays. And he was also doing uh, film commissions. He was performing in film. He was also writing for different film. Uh, at this point, he was a statesman of music and he became a, an educator, much like Dizzy Gillespie did and was always a, an educator of this music. Uh, Max Roach became an educator, not only in jazz, but in scoring and understanding the history of music. And he did have a professorship at a few different universities and colleges. And that kind of lasted all the way into the 90s. And he was still performing and he was still traveling. Um, until he passed away in 2007, uh, unfortunately, from compl uh, uh, complications from due to Alzheimer's disease, um, which if you've followed La Lucha or know anything about La Lucha, um, uh, specifically who John, Dr. John O'Leary, who just had a session before me here on Keith Jarrett, uh, Dr. O'Leary has a degree in neurological sciences studying Alzheimer's research, and it's become La Lucha's, uh, uh, our, our charity. We, we do a lot of uh, outreach to Alzheimer's caregivers, uh, patients, family, everybody's affected, and something we um, want to advocate for. So, and I've come to know that Max Roach passed away from complications due to Alzheimer's disease. Okay. We talked about Papa Joe Jones and the direct translation, you know, uh, influence from into Max Roach. And that is the hi-hat. We talked about Papa Joe Jones was known as Mr. Hi-hat. He created what is the modern hi-hat. And in 1992, and it didn't just happen in 92, Max Roach did this a lot where he would, during his concerts, come out with just the hi-hat and do a tribute to Papa Joe Jones. Um, I wanted to find, I, I found this one the best, even though he, you know, wasn't performing at his height of his career at, at you know, age 62, he was, you know, things start to, to not work as well as when you were younger. I found this one the most enjoyable. So this is the Newport Jazz Festival, 1992, playing a solo hi-hat composition. We'll watch the whole thing.
so cool that is you know the stamina to do that that is not easy and use using the whole hi-hat as a gesture of thank you papa joe jones mr hi-hat for giving us these hi-hats one thing to note i've noticed from even earlier recordings videos to now and I, i'm not aware of this so if there's anybody who knows this information without me really looking it up i noticed that the bottom hi-hat is like a 14 and the top one is a 13 inch. So the top one is actually a smaller hi-hat than the bottom one. And I'm not sure why he did that, why he did that regularly. I could see physics why he would do that, but usually they're just the same height, but anybody knows. I think that's a really beautiful and uh, virtuosic performance. You can see how he dropped his stick at one point and I, um, uh, you know, have, from experience of dropping sticks on stage during a solo, uh, uh, I would, I'm not embarrassed by it anymore. I don't think he was embarrassed. He just leaned into it. He leaned into the fact that it happened. He found a way to pick it up. Okay, influencer. He is a modern influencer of bebop, melodic solos, and an activist. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about bebop. Okay, bebop came from out of the big band era. We talked about 52nd Street in the 40s. Bebop is known for its fast tempos, its complex harmony, the fast moving harmony. There's a lot of key changes. There's no more dancing involved. Uh, it's so there's a lot of syncopation. Uh, I mean, you can dance to bebop, and people have, but it really is this performance. Um, it has complex syncopation, meaning we're not playing on beats one, two, three, and four. We're playing in the intricacies between that. Um, there's a lot of um, altered harmony or extended harmony. So if you have three notes to make a chord, you're adding extra notes to make that sound even more interesting. And instead of having these big bands, you're having smaller groups of three to four, five, maybe six musicians at the most. Um, you can have more, but it was smaller groups and smaller venues. Um, longer solos, 
So the, the melodies were being played very short. You know, if you think of like I, the song, I Got Rhythm, they would play that. That goes by in 20 seconds. And then you solo for, you know, three to seven minutes, and then you play the head out. Um, I know not, not everybody reads music or everybody can sight read this, but this is an example of comping. So if we take a look, the top line is the cymbal. The bottom line is the hi-hat played on two and four, which is our bread and butter. Everything underneath is what he's playing in his snare drum and bass drum. You don't have to read music to see, wow, that is a lot. There's a lot of those black notes going by, and they're actually almost all on the upbeats, which just syncopation. One, two, three, four. Da, oh, oh, de, a, da, oh, de, a, da, da, a, oh, da, 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 a. So this actually comes from a, a hard bop song, but it's, it's played in a bebop version um, from with Clifford Brown, Parisian Thoroughfare. Okay, bebop. One of the earliest bebop recordings, Max Roach is on it with none other than Coleman Hawkins. It's a song called Woody and You, written by Dizzy Gillespie, and it's from an album called Rainbow Mist. Oh, there he is, our man looking cool as can be. They used to sell these bebop glasses in the, at the gigs. You can buy them from like Downbeat Magazine, you can buy them at the gigs, but he was wearing them and everybody wanted to be cool like Max Roach. And I, I have a pair, I don't, they're, they're over there. But, I have a pair of cool bebop glasses. Maybe I'll wear them tomorrow. So if you come to the, the gig, you'll see me wear cool bebop glasses at, at night when it's dark. Um, New York City, 1944. You can see it's Diz. You can see there's it's a it's a it's an orchestra, but it's a smaller orchestra. We won't listen to the whole thing. We'll take just a, a peek at this. to stop there because I want to notice that Max is playing on the hi-hat here which is still very swing tradition but the vocabulary of what's being played is a little different and uh, usually what would happen in bebop is they play the head almost together and then somebody would solo but immediately they went into these background figure figures you can hear that bop 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 the band's playing That wouldn't really happen as Bebop progressed, um, which we're gonna hear right now. A year later, Charlie Parker and his Reboppers playing Coco, a much smaller group. You can see there are four musicians on it. Diz, Bird, Curly Russell, 
on base and Max Roach. One year later, check, check out how the tempo, how it feels, the arrangement. <laughs> wildly different one year later. This is what was happening in 52nd Street in those clubs. They were finding a way to have this interaction. I play, you play, we play together. Let's give the drummer a solo over the form. If you sing the song Coco that they're playing, that drum solo works. As far as his soloing, it's extremely melodic. You can kind of hear him playing um, little different melodies that he's accenting but he's really only using the snare drum and bass drum the same way, you know, Papa Jones, Joe Jones might. Okay. We're gonna move to the next slide. Okay. So he played in these bebop bands through a better part of the 40s into the 50s. 
Um, he was then hooking up with tons of musicians. He was playing with everybody. Everybody wanted to play with him. He was going to Europe and playing. He was the man. I do want to say prior to this, Max did go to Manhattan School of Music and work toward his uh, bachelor's of music degree in classical percussion. They weren't studying jazz at the time in schools then, but he did get a degree from Manhattan School of Music um, in, in the 50s, and he actually got an honorary doctorate from them in, the, in 1990 as well. He also started his own record label with bassist Charles Mingus in around 1952. Um, so hard bop, Clifford Brown, What's the difference between hard bop and bebop? Hard bop was bringing in new influences, um, including gospel, blues, and r and rhythm and blues was happening at the time. Uh, the music was still fast and aggressive, but his soloing level was at another another place. So this is this is 1955. Let's take a quick, quick peek. And also, I'm going to I'm going to play the beginning and then forward to the drum solo on Cherokee. to the drum solo. All right, it might not let me go forward because it needs to load all the way. But what I will say is his drum solo is one of the greatest drum solos in jazz history. And I encourage everybody to listen to this and I encourage all drummers and musicians to even transcribe it on their instrument. I've transcribed it. Uh, it's this language that's just specifically in this solo can be used across, you know, multiple instruments and it can be used across multiple genres as well. Let's move forward. In 1958, he performed, uh, well, he, he hooked up with Dinah Washington on the West Coast and recorded this record, Dinah Jams, which is such a fantastic record featuring a number of musicians. And this comes from a, um, a really awesome uh, documentary called Jazz on a Summer's Day. And it features the Newport Jazz Festival in 1958 and the vast wide groups of musicians that performed from Chuck Berry to Papa Joe Jones to Dinah Washington to, you know, Duke Ellington. Everybody performed it, it seems, because that 1958 was kind of on the verge between 
you know, some of the early jazz musicians who created this music were still alive and the young hip cats that were coming up were, were, were coming up then. And we're also transitioning into rhythm and blues and rock and roll. Let's take a quick peek. I'll skip through it a little bit, but it's kind of cool to see the audience and what was happening in 1958 and, you know, it was no different than what you would see at the Clearwater Jazz Holiday, really. Thank you, welcome back to the grandstand with Diner, Diner Washington. All of me. Why not take all of me? Uh, in the late 1950s, he, in going into the 60s, he became uh, an activist for political and racial equality. Um, he, became, he began uh, using this commentary on his recordings, um, which to me, when I learned about them, I would go to my teachers or my parents. I would say, I'm not understanding what this means. And they were honest and they told me. They told me what was going on, what had been going on, what is going on, and I learned. And I learned that um, some musicians feel the need to express themselves through their music, either through music or through actually saying something. And you would hear this on Deeds Not Words in 59. We Insist, which is also called the Freedom Now Suite. Um, he collaborated with his then wife, Abby Lincoln, and Oscar Brown Jr., who Oscar Brown Jr. is not his wife, but Abby Lincoln was. Oscar Brown Jr. was a wonderful lyricist and singer. He took the I Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King Jr. and he put a rhythm to it and played solo with it. And in 1960, the same festival we just saw from two years earlier, he boycotted. Him and Charles Mingus got a whole bunch of musicians together not too far away in Rhode Island from where it was taking place and said, don't go to their festival, go to ours. Theirs was too mainstream. It had too much pop music, which to them, it meant it was too white. The prices were becoming outrageous and uh, themselves and the people in their community could not afford to go to their festival. So they had their own festival and um, it got a lot of criticism, obviously. So I love this photo. I mean, obviously it's Mr. Roach and the count, you know, <laughs> Max Roach was the count. He, yeah, he counted a one and a two and a three and a four. Um, and I have an 18 month at home, so I love counting. I love Sesame Street. Uh, okay, essential listening as a leader from the beginning, Rainbow Mist with Coleman Hawkins going down the line. You can see Diz and Bird, Diz and Bird. Um, you can see Thelonious Monk there. You can see Saxophone Colossus with Sonny Rollins. That's an important album to the 1960 with We Insist. This record, 1962, Money Jungle. It is with Duke Ellington and Charles Mangus. It is such a cool recording to hear Duke Ellington in a small group version. All the way up to 1991 with To The Max. Also had this record with... Um, Max Roach called Roach, uh, what's it called? Rich and Roach. And it was like a drum battle record where they played back and forth. It was very cool. Charles Mingus and Max Roach did some duo records in 1955 and they were completely improvised at Cafe Bohemia. Um, and it's really 
odd and it's really fun and it is one of the earliest versions of playing free and just doing whatever they wanted to do. My takeaway is that Max Roach is one of the leading drummers of the bebop era and one of the leading musicians, composers, and band leaders since the 1940s. He wrote music, he performed music, he was on the cover of it, he was a side person, he was a co-leader, he did everything that you could do in music and without apologies. Um, as a drum soloist, he had you know, few peers in terms of innovations and stemming from his deeply personal sound and approach. His vocabulary, vocabulary is huge in music and it works across genres. I mean, in hip hop music, he was there when it was being created and they used his samples in the performance. You know, if you're looking at, you know, the Roots and Quest Love who are around today every single night on, you know, with Jimmy Fallon on The Late Show, direct translation from what Questlove is playing on the drums from Max Roach. Um, that brings me to the end of this. What I want to say for me personally is that his melodic playing on the drumming is influential to me because I learned that I could play more than just time. I could play melody. I could play what felt like harmony on the cymbals because of Max Roach. If I have a, a symbol with, you know, rivets in it and holes in it, when I heard harmony that was changing the key, I would play that symbol because it felt like it lifted up that harmony, not just rhythm. You know, um, I could be a melodic person involved in, uh, in playing music. And when he was talking about activism, you know, I learned that I can speak out and I can say something. I can say what's important to me as a musician and what's important to my community. Um, and drummers don't always have to be just in the back and keeping time. They can be out front, they can be co-leaders and I can co-run a group with two friends and we can all have a say in what's to be said and I can be a composer. A lot of people say, you know, that drummers are not musicians. We absolutely are, and you absolutely are, and you can you have enough say, even though you're not playing a melodic or chordal instrument, you are as, as important to that melodicism and harmony as anybody else in the band. So that's my Max Roach take. If you have any questions, please let me know. Inspiring stuff again, Mark, for all drummers and non-drummers alike. Thank you so much. I don't see any questions right now in the chat right. feature, but I wanted to remind everybody who's participating today or watching and listening in the future that Mark's going to be back with us as a continuation of our What I Love About series in December. And he's got, I think, at least three other sessions still scheduled with drummers like Elvin Jones and Art Blakey, and I, I and and I can't remember the the last one you're who you have. Yeah, Ari Honig. Oh, okay, Ari Honig, yeah. and and yeah. so we're really looking forward to those sessions and to seeing more of Mark Feynman. So uh, please follow us along. You can access all of that information at clearwaterjazz.com on the education and outreach page. On behalf of the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation, all of our sponsors, High Note Society members, 
and supporters. We thank you for following along and being part of this. And we thank you, Mark Feynman, for being a continuing special addition to our outreach. And we'll look forward to seeing you real soon. So stay safe out there, everybody. Keep playing, keep listening, keep being creative, and we'll see everyone real soon. Thank you for listening to Clearwater Jazz Holidays, Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. Thank you to our friends at Marine Max Clearwater for helping to present this podcast series. To learn more about the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Annual Festival tradition, other special events throughout the year, and our year-round education and outreach, please visit clearwaterjazz.com.